Welcome to Scottish Independence Podcasts. Uh, this week we have an extra podcast for you and we're very grateful to Women for Independence for letting us have access to this recording. In November 2022, Women for Independence held their AGM and as part of that meeting there was a conversation between Maggie Lennon, who is one of their National Committee members, and Ola Maksotchka. Ola is a Ukrainian. She talks about what it felt like at the beginning of the year when the Russian tanks rolled over the border into Ukraine. And we learn from her about the journey that she embarked on. At one point she calls it an adventure, an adventure that has led her to now be based here in Scotland. We'll move on to the next part of our meeting. And I'm going to hand over to um, Maggie Lennon, who will introduce the panel on solidarity and sisterhood with the women in Ukraine. Well, good afternoon. Um, not really a panel, just myself and Ola, who's going to be talking about her own experiences of coming from Ukraine to Scotland. Um, and we'll be talking about some of the work she did in women's organisations in Ukraine. She is one of the probably busiest women I've ever met. Um, while she was in Ukraine, she was leader of the women's movement for the future. She was also involved in setting up an organisation called You Decide, which provided women with legal and psychological support on a whole number and range of issues, including labour's rights, children's rights, and domestic violence. And she was also a co-organiser of something called Smile Mom and Smile Child, an organisation set up for mothers and children of fallen soldiers um, since 2014. Because I think it's important we remember, as far as Ukrainians are concerned, this war with Russia didn't just start in February of this year. Ola, hello, it's good to see you here. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you so much for invitation. You're very, very welcome. Um, I know that you have a, a prepared statement that you want to read out, which explains what happened to you on your way to Scotland. Would you like to do that first and then we'll get into a conversation about some of the bigger issues? Uh, yes, I think it will be uh, perfect. <laughs> uh, I want to say a few words about myself and to introduce myself. Uh, my name is uh, Olha and I am from Ukraine. Uh, now I am in Scotland from the end of March and I uh, arrived to Scotland according to the family scheme because my sister is here. So it was, uh, it was a single and main reason why I am here in this country. Uh, on the 23rd of February, I, with my seven years old uh, son, uh, had a very social active life. I managed many activities and projects for children and women in Ukraine. And it was uh, one of the days when we uh, were together, mom and kids. And we have uh, master classes in this day. And of course, we have a great time with, uh, with much love and fun. Uh, we talked about political situation of our country, but nobody believed that war could be a real possibility. Only a few hours separated us from Russia brutal attack on my country. It was 7 a.m. on the 24th of February when we uh, arose to a call from my ex-husband that the war had started. After a few minutes of talking with my son, had a loud bomb explosions. We lived about one kilometer from a military airport. During the first few hours, Russia bombed nearly all military airports in our country. My son was crying and he was trembling with fear. I didn't understand what I must do. I really was very panicked. Uh, we ran to our bathroom and I understand that maybe it is more the safe place in my uh, flat. And uh, my son was crying and uh, I stay uh, in the bathroom and think what I must do, what I must do. I, I really don't understand, didn't understand what I must do. And um, uh, in our home, uh, we also had no uh, basement to make a shelter in. 
And it is really a big problem. And now in Ukraine that, uh, for example, shelters, it could be far from uh, building and it uh, could be nearly one kilometers. And when you must be in safe, you must very quickly to run. And it is impossible when you have uh, small kids. Uh, it's really very heavy to do. Uh, and uh, uh, we, nobody was ready to this situation, of course. Uh, the late death of my son picked us and helped us evacuate to my mother's home. It was nearly 30 kilometers from my native city. Uh, uh, I am from Volin region. It is um, from city Lutsk, uh, and uh, our region has two borders with Belarusia and with Poland. And we have uh, two customs with Poland. And one of them is the big customs in our country across uh, this custom. We um, all the time received uh, humanitarian and military aid. So it is uh, very strategic customs. And um, in the village of my mother, all the residents were panning with a rush to withdraw money, buy food and medicine from the pharmacy. The following days, I read news and contact friends. We worked hard to support each other. On the 25th of February, I began to realize that I had to start thinking about leaving the country. My son was expressing great fear and was frightening to be alone for even short periods, period. In this day, on the border of Poland, many thousands of Ukrainians were fleeing the country. There were crazy cases at the customs post. I decided I had to move. I contacted at the ex-college in Poland and asked her to help me find temporary accommodation in Warsaw, where there is a British visa center. In this moment, we decided to move to my sister home who lived in Glasgow. We had no idea whether we could get visa or not. There had been no decision made by the UK government and not easy way was available. My new temporary life in Poland was constantly spent on the television on coordinating aid and supporting freight. My role was coordinating people in different countries and organizing cohesing uh, with humanitarian aid to our country. We would be in Poland for all months. During this time, I tried to apply for a regular visa, but my sister called the home uh, office every time and she was advised to tell me to wait a few uh, days, days as a statement from the UK government would come soon. We applied for visa uh, the first day the humanitarian visa program began. We had uh, to undergo biometric testing in Warsaw. On the 22nd of March, we flew to Liverpool airport. I found myself alone with my son in a foreign country and my sister was running late. In a voluntary tears ran down my face. My sister arrived and we made uh, the four uh, hour car journey to what would become my new home. For the first few weeks, we lived in cramped condition with my sister. Uh, my sister has also a husband and small uh, son, three years um, nephew, my, my nephew. After that, the landlord of my sister, a Polish landlord who supports Ukrainians, offered me a tenancy knowing I was a single mom who could only pay with benefits. Then uh, began a new adventure of trying to uh, finish a flat and make it into a home. Help came from many different sources. Uh, from my sister, charity foundations, landlords and neighbors, and also I received the grant as a award for my active position in protection rights women in Ukraine. Then began the process of becoming registered with job center, doctors, councils. My first appointment at the job center took the hours, three hours. As I was the first Ukrainian refugee they had to deal with and nobody was sure what to do. They really were shocked. <laughs> And when I say, oh, maybe today it is enough, they said, yes, yes, you could go. <laughs> they were very happy when we finished. And now I could uh, uh, think about the story uh, with joke, but in this moment, I really want to cry and not more. While I was in Poland, I tried to find details of the diaspora here. I wrote to the head of Association of Ukrainians in Great Britain, Glasgow branch. I met the team of uh, IUGB in George Square, where all the time they organized meetings to raise awareness of the war in Ukraine. From this period, I am volunteer with the Glasgow branch 
uh, in association of Ukrainians in Great Britain, and my duties include social media and helping organizing events. After a couple of months, I started to, as a voluntary post, one uh, with positive action in housing and the other with Scottish Refugee Council. With the Scottish Refugee Council, I was part of the welcome team at Glasgow Airport. I was the friendly face welcoming new arrivals from, from Ukraine and helping them access services. I contact Bridget program and shared my TV and experience. I shared I want to continue to work in political, social, governmental and communication fields, but now in Great Britain. But also I understand the main problem is my level of English, <laughs> honestly, and <laughs> but I really uh, want to receive some job offer in this fields and the Bridget program recommended I should apply to become a volunteer with positive action in housing. Here I was introduced with Marina, it is my manager uh, who uh, encouraged me to apply for a part-time role on a staff at positive action in housing. I was very happy to be offered the job. I arrived in the UK uh, with some basic, le basic level of English, but obviously not what I need to hold similar profession position as I had held in Ukraine. So I began studying a Ukrainian English tutor in London online. I also applied for SOL courses and passed the test and received applies at Glasgow City College. So now I have part-time job, voluntary job, and I am part-time student. My uh, own experience have really helped me understand the real needs of the Ukrainian refugee. We are, of course, very thankful to the British people, uh, government, and all who aid Ukrainians in the country. That said, there are a lot of problems here for the Ukrainian community. According to the official statistic, uh, now Ukraine uh, left uh, above se 7 uh, million and 500,000 uh, people. And 19% of these people, it is moms with kids. It is women and uh, children. And uh, I try to share what um, now uh, we have uh, in uh, our Ukrainian community and what problems we have as Ukrainians refugee. And uh, the single largest groups are those who arrived on the Scottish Super Sponsor Visa. On a single ship in Glasgow, there are uh, thousands of people. Now it is uh, thousands and three hundred people almost. It is only in Glasgow, and the same number of people are still in uh, the ship in Edinburgh also. Uh, and uh, in the Holiday Inn, it is a hotel in our Glasgow airport, there is 350 Ukrainians also from that scheme. There are also many who enter its content on the Home for Ukrainian scheme. Both this group have a number one need for longer term safe accommodation. According uh, to statistic from uh, Opora, uh, for, it is big uh, Ukrainian organization, non-governmental organization who helps here Ukrainians, but um, uh, they uh, only of this organization, it is uh, Ukrainian people who live in Britain a lot of uh, years. And uh, they uh, did research, and uh, according to this researching, 40% of Ukrainians who live with hosts are in risk of being homeless after the six months with host has come to an end. Only 14% have the opportunity to remain for a future period with their host. And um, this research was carried out with 3,000 people. The same situation repeats itself with Ukrainian refugees who arrived under the family scheme. In most cases, the relatives have no recommendation to provide long-term options. I know a lot of Ukrainians uh, who invite their relatives and, for example, 10 people uh, must share two bedrooms uh, flat. It was horrible because uh, there are no really any options that uh, to provide a new accommodation in a short uh, period. Uh, and uh, the private sector is very difficult for Ukrainian refugees to access, so it's not a suitable option. Landlords are risk averse and are not keen on housing benefit, partic benefit, particularly without housing history and reference in the UK. 
The best option would be a government program aimed at private landlords because social housing is full and their build rate is so slow. Another possibility might be an incentive scheme for hosts, where after six months, the Ukrainian guests and a commercial arrangement. We think about this moment. For example, uh, when the Ukrainians live with host six months, after that, uh, they could rent these flats, but uh, uh, to get a job and pay for rent, uh, renting these flats as variant. As variant. The majority of the refugees are single mothers with children. They cannot easily enter the job market due to the childcare issues. Another major problem for Ukrainians is language. There are a limited number of classes available. There are no English classes aimed solely at children and no extra hours available in school. Again, this needs government intervention. No language skill means no access to the job market. And also uh, one point, 70% of Ukrainians who moved abroad, it is uh, people with high level education. It is uh, uh, people who uh, were in Ukrainian in uh, uh, intellectual uh, fields and uh, they were successful in uh, their jobs, but they must leave our country. And uh, many refugees uh, are in need of counseling with mental and emotional support. A project needs to be established to address these needs. These problems need a target solution which uh, must involve the Ukrainian community to fully understand and address the issues. Also, there are many problems and challenges we are extremely grateful for all support we have received in Britain. It is very important and it is life of our children and the future of Ukrainians as nation. Thank you so much, Olha, for such a comprehensive explanation of what you've been through. And I think your story, for someone who's worked in the refugee community for 21 years, your story is known to me and I hear the same sorts of things every day. But I think what you've encapsulated in, a, in, a, in, a, in an extremely eloquent presentation are the various stages that forced migrants go through. So that the shock of the war happening when it did, although there had been talk, no one really expected it to happen. The suddenness of it happening, the fear that you didn't know where to go, compounded by the fact you have a small child and you're a single parent and trying to keep your children safe. All mothers' natural instinct is to try to keep their children safe. And then what you talk about, the adventure, and I, I should point out, I just, I weren't sure if anyone was able to pick it up, but the month that all has spent in Warsaw, she actually spent trying to support humanitarian aid back into the Ukraine, because this is the kind of work she was doing in the Ukraine. And so it's that thing that, that often happens, that refugees, when they're in temporary accommodation or temporary places, do what they can to help those left behind. And then you talked about your adventure coming to the UK. And actually, I think if, unless you've ever been forced from your homeland at gunpoint or the fear of gunpoint, you cannot understand what it will feel like to end up in a foreign country whereby your own admission, your English, when you arrived, you, you call it basic. It must have been better than basic because your English was very good now and you've only been here six months. <laughs> but all of that, trying to negotiate your way around service provision, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that DWP hadn't a clue what to do with you. The first Ukrainian to walk in the door six months later, to be honest, they still don't know really what to do. But what has struck me is that throughout all of that, you've remained positive and you have been determined to try and put your life back together as much as you can. And you're lucky now you're working, um, but you also point out, and this is, will be of particular interest to the people here today, that because so many of the Ukrainians who are here are mothers with children, but without an accompanying dad, that's going to make it harder for people to get back into the labor market. So when you and I talked last week about all of this, you highlighted that one of the things that was happening now was that lots and lots of the Ukrainian community 
were being put on antidepressants to help them cope with the stress that they were going through because there wasn't any um, there wasn't any support for mental health. Mental health services in this country are very stretched. What do you think the what do you think the impact of that will be long term? It's really very difficult questions um, because um, moving to foreign country uh, for in such situation as we have in Ukraine, it is all time stressful. And uh, another moment, another moment uh, uh, that uh, here in Britain, honestly, Ukrainians refugee couldn't receive psychology helping. When I arrived, uh, I received a grant for psychology support for my son. Because on March, uh, my ex-husband died, and uh, I don't know how to say it for my son. We were divorced, but uh, they all the time communicate, and my son uh, really loved him very much. And uh, when we arrived to Britain, my son all the time asked me about uh, that, about the detail of death, and so on. And honestly, I don't know, I didn't know how to explain this seven years old boy. And Bernardo, Bernardo give, uh, gave me a grant, but was, <laughs> it was not very good experience, honestly. Why? Because uh, in that moment I used uh, services of interpreting and uh, interpreter uh, translate not correct some moments. And uh, psychology also uh, tried to understand what I want. <laughs> and I said, could you please to say me how I must to, to speak with my child, what I must to do. Uh, and I canceled these sessions because I understand that it is uh, not useful for me. And it is also the time of this uh, psychology. Uh, but in Ukraine, we had uh, we have a big public channel in Telegram groups. Uh, this uh, public uh, Telegram uh, was created uh, in the first days of a war, and there are is uh, almost thirty thousand uh, people. It is psychologists and psychotherapists. Uh, therapeutics, sorry for my presentation. And uh, uh, in this channel, you could receive free consultation on your native language. And it is very important because we could understand and also we could uh, be free when we explain our situation. And uh, I found uh, psychology here for my son and it was very helpful. They really helped me. And uh, I all the time, uh, every week, I advised uh, this channel a lot of Ukrainians, especially uh, moms with kids, especially for mom with uh, teenagers, because um, when we uh, think about horrible situation, all emotions, the peak of emotion, it could be uh, after a few months. Because when you move to a foreign country, first of all, what do you feel? You must want something to do. And you are very busy because you <laughs> try to do something. But uh, uh, if uh, all after that, you have time to think. And in this moment, you feel a lot of emotion and you understand what happened in reality and you feel a new, a new emotion of fear and your emotion of this difficult situation and a lot of people need help uh, not on the beginning but really after two three months when they are in another country uh, and also uh, one point I said about this uh, Maggie uh, last time uh, that uh, in Ukraine it is not very popular to give uh, to give antidepressants. Uh, uh, really, we use it in re in rarely a situation. Um, here, uh, our Ukrainians uh, they couldn't receive psychological uh, help, and they say to GP, "I feel uh, myself not very good. 
I'm sad, I'm upset, I'm frustrated all the time, and they give prescription for antidepressants. And uh, I worry about it a lot. And I said about these problems also for our association of Ukrainians in Great Britain, uh, because um, for Ukrainians people, it is uh, not usual way that to solve their, their problems. So I think that uh, we must uh, uh, to think about some grant program uh, where uh, could be created, for example, some psychology supporting groups. And uh, we could involve uh, in these groups uh, people who are here, but who don't speak English. And it will, will be very helpful for our web psychology who are here in Britain or in another country, it is, doesn't matter. Uh, and uh, uh, also it will be very helpful for our Ukrainian refugee who are also here. Um, this is one of the things that those of us who work in this sector have been campaigning for for decades, because you're right. This, what you talk about that you keep busy when you first arrive because you have a lot to do, but more importantly, it stops you thinking. And that's something that you will find um, in the wider asylum seeking community where people are so unsure if they're going to stay or be sent home. They're worried that someone's going to come to the door. And people talk about that, that they will do anything to keep their minds occupied. And the minute they stop, the minute they try to sleep, all the fear comes back in. And there's a sort of, there's a belief that when a forced migrant arrives in a country, they do certain things in certain order. First thing, you get a house, then you get a doctor and you get your children sent to school and you get English language lessons. And then maybe two years down the line, someone says it's time you looked for a job. The reality is nothing moves forward in that straight line. And depression, fear, worry can come back at any point so it may look like for the first few months you're doing really well and you're settling and then the fear comes back and the uncertainty and you said it yourself, suddenly the reality of what you've been through has hit you and that can be very, very disruptive and that's not widely understood. I'm fearful too that of the thousands of people who out of the goodness of their heart took Ukrainians into their homes they were not prepared and had not been given enough information about what their Ukrainian guest might be going through. And I think many of the many of the host families have struggled and it has actually been counterproductive in some places and quite damaging. And many of these relationships have ended prematurely. And that's not the fault of the host families. That is entirely the fault of government not preparing people enough with the trauma that their guests would be suffering from. Um, and would you say that was a, a fair comment, Ola? Have you heard that from people? Uh, yes, I agree uh, with you, Maggie, because I also said uh, some re representatives of Scottish government uh, that they must be very clear in their guidance for Ukrainian people. And uh, this guidance must be very simple, very simple. Uh, and they must uh, to explain main moments and uh, main problems that could be here for Ukrainian refugee. For example, the last case uh, on this, uh, uh, on the last this Wednesday on this week, I had meeting with our Ukrainians refugee. It was uh, above 30 uh, persons. And one lady said to me, oh, uh, they are from a ship. They are living on a ship. And uh, they said, Britain must give a social flat for us. And I said, no, Britain mustn't do it. Uh, because uh, home for Ukrainians, him, guarantee, uh, uh, give you temporary accommodation for six months, but anywhere in the, anywhere documents there are no information that it must be social flat. 
There is temporary accommodation and they give you to you these possibilities in hotel, for example, or ship. <laughs> now, and really people don't understand why they don't understand? Because there are, they have, haven't clear information. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, another point uh, that's very important, I also said about this for Scottish government, for this uh, man and uh, job market. How a person from Ukraine could get job if they called me and said to me, Olya, could you tell uh, how uh, is on a, uh, English Ribna Fabrica, fishing factory? <laughs> how, how I must uh, I know that uh, they could receive here a job uh, to, for tomorrow uh, it's really a possibility but they couldn't find any information about it and uh, honestly I don't understand why uh, for seven months of program Home for Ukrainians there are no any clear guidance what people must to do step by step. We have a lot of problems in another fields also. What we do? I, I have voluntary girl, like my assistant, sometimes I ask for help me. And uh, we uh, did some experiment because I received a lot of um, messages from people from a ship in, uh, in Glasgow that they couldn't uh, register in GP. And I said, Maria, could you please uh, to call near SGP and to try register? And she called. And on the phone, when they hear that it is uh, people from a ship, they said, no, 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 we have no free place. We have no free place. You must go to the ship. There is team of nurses and speak about this with nurses. But uh, when Maria called and said, I am from Scotland and I want to register in GP, they said, oh, you are welcome. You could go and to register. Why? I couldn't understand, honestly. I couldn't understand why uh, <laughs> appears this problem. And, uh, and it is um, a lot of points. And I think that it's an uh, easy way to solve these problems to give clear and simple information for people. I think the Scottish government, um, when they announced the super sponsor scheme, had thought that 3,000 people would come. There are currently 18,000 Ukrainians in Scotland and a further 15,000 on their way. And that's people who applied to the scheme before the Scottish government stopped it after five months. Yes. The Wales super sponsor scheme was stopped after one month because they could see that the numbers were going to overwhelm the system and they had nowhere to put them. The people living on ships, the idea of that was that they would be on the ships temporarily and then they would be sent to other parts of the country. But of course, the people living on ships are beginning to get jobs. Their children are settling at school, so they don't want to leave Glasgow to go to Aberdeen or Inverness or Thurso or anywhere else or the borders. They want to stay in Glasgow. And that is the problem, because Glasgow, like all local authorities, are completely overstretched. The Afghans who arrived last year have still not been housed. Most of them are still in hotels. Asylum seekers are being dispersed around the country now and staying in hotels and no one expected the Ukrainian situation. And the whole way it was managed by both governments, North and South, has been chaotic, but that comes at a dreadful cost. What worries me is that the outpouring of goodwill that was there for the Ukrainians, which is not always there for forced migrants from other countries, could quite easily turn to be quite unpleasant as people are beginning to think that they're their own services are under threat. And that is that we might see a position. In Scotland, we have a very different attitude to as refugees and asylum seekers. We're more tolerant, uh, we're more welcoming. The, the media, and I know you were a journalist, Ola, and we'll talk about the media in a minute. The media are supportive generally, or even the media, if it's not supportive, there's no political dimension to that. And therefore there's nowhere for an anti-migrant feeling to go. My concern is that the Ukrainian situation set up for the very best humanitarian reasons could backfire. And those of us who are working in the sector are desperate for more resources 
to do exactly what you're asking for information to be given to large groups of people. And we too simply don't have the staff or the resources to do it. It really is a dreadful situation. And yet, despite that, there are many, many people like you who have managed to get yourself organised, who are working and contributing. And you have so much to contribute if you get to stay long term in this country, if that's what you choose to do. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the work that you were doing in Ukraine in women's organisations before you came here, because it, I mean, it, it was just so, so much. So would you like to tell me a little bit, first of all, about the, the, the organisation for the future? And uh, was a re uh, regional leader in uh, my region, uh, one of the biggest women's uh, uh, organisation in Ukraine. Uh, the name of this organisation is Women Movements for the Future. Uh, from the beginning, we were the part of political party, but uh, now we are separate and we provide our activities as a non-governmental organization. And the uh, first purpose uh, of our organization is uh, to protect women's rights. And uh, of course, when we speak uh, about women's, we couldn't speak about children also, because <laughs> as usual, <laughs> in any cases, with, when we have some problems in the families, children stay with moms in uh, the most cases. Uh, I want to uh, show a short video. Uh, uh, we uh, provide a lot of project uh, in our uh, women movements. And one of the biggest project, it was uh, about protection rights uh, women uh, when they uh, have violence in their families from their husband or from another members of the families. And uh, we decided to do something that to help women to feel uh, themselves very confident. Because first of all, when they are not confident, they couldn't uh, have any options and uh, that and any strong that to change their life because in such a horrible situation it is really very difficult to do is there, is there a lot of domestic violence in ukraine, in ukraine a lot unfortunately a lot where uh, official statistic i uh, see i see i check before our meeting official statistic now said that from the beginning 2022 uh, uh, officially is uh, 200000 uh, and uh, 50000 uh, uh, like accidents but uh, uh, Unofficial statistic uh, from non-governmental organizations said that it is uh, nearly one million accidents. And uh, because women uh, are not ready to speak about these problems. Uh, we have, uh, I created a project when uh, I begin to uh, work in women movements. This project was named You Decide. And uh, it, uh, I uh, involve a group of lawyers and uh, psychologists in this project. Uh, we, uh, it was seven uh, members of my team. And it was very interesting that uh, I uh, find uh, these people uh, using my social media. Uh, I uh, all the time uh, uh, used my Facebook page. Uh, I wrote a lot of our activities about uh, violence, about these problems, uh, about protection of women rights and so on. And also I uh, used my stories in Instagram and uh, lawyers and psychologists, they saw uh, that I told about these problems and they sent me a message. I want to be with you. I want to help. And uh, we, uh, it, I'm really proud of this project. Uh, we created non-governmental organization with the name You Decide because you decide what you uh, want from your life. You uh, want to do something for your happiness or you prefer to stay and to be unhappy all life and uh, in uh, 
some some case you could be killed and it is reality we had such situation also in ukraine unfortunately it was uh, i explained a few words uh, it was a big training uh, of um, our self-defense courses uh, it was in bukovel it is western part of ukraine a very famous touristic place and uh, also in parliament we have deputy groups um, uh, these deputy groups it was uh, uh, 22 uh, mp and uh, some of mp uh, were with us uh, in this training also uh, for us it was very important because mp were our voice in parliament and we could uh, uh, share our problems from low level to high level and really to hope for some influence on the central level of our country. And the leader of our organization uh, is Irina Suslova. It is a very famous uh, woman leader in Ukraine. And also uh, he, she was uh, and uh, advisor in one of the uh, parliament uh, committee uh, about human rights. What changes do women uh, want to see in Ukraine after the war? What, what are the main changes that women will want to see? Uh, the main task, uh, I think, is that uh, it will be to rebuild our country, of course. But the other uh, problem is uh, psychology support for women who lost their husbands, fathers, brothers, who lost their native people in Ukraine. Uh, because unfortunately Russia uh, do it, uh, it killed our people in a horrible way. And uh, you, I think that when you uh, ask Google uh, show photo about war in Ukraine, you could see how uh, horrible uh, situation every day uh, have our people. And uh, a lot of people disappeared during the war. And uh, nobody knows what happened as they died, as they on the territory of Russia. A lot of kids, uh, uh, Russia also uh, moved to their area and we don't know what with these kids, where they are. Also, some women uh, are on the area of Russia and we don't know what happened with these women as they live or, or what happened. And, um, uh, so we will have a lot of problems, really, a lot of problems uh, and economic uh, fields, in social fields, uh, in uh, emotional fields. And one moment before the war, honestly, Ukraine also uh, have a, hadn't a good economic uh, situation. Mm. Uh, and uh, we had a lot uh, of uh, credits in uh, international uh, bank, international fund. And uh, we must also uh, to come back this money. But when it happened, nobody knows. Because, uh, um, for example, uh, now, uh, nearly 60% of energy system of Ukraine uh, are almost destroyed. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my native city, it is western part of Ukraine, uh, people haven't light. Uh, they uh, have light only a few hours in a day. In the eastern part of Ukraine, situation is more horrible because there are no light, there are no food, and there are no drink water. How, how important has this recent pushback been of Russian troops in the east? I mean, Ukraine are regarding this as a real breakthrough. Do you think it's as positive as the media are saying it is? Or are Russia just regrouping and going to attack somewhere else? Uh, uh, I am not sure that I understand correct. <laughs> just, just recently, um, last week. Uh, about ago. her son. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh -huh. And uh, so people are very pleased, obviously, they've got rid of the Russians from the city. But is it, is it, a, is it as positive as people are making out? Or is there a fear that Russia are just they've left there, but they, they're just going to attack somewhere else? Mm -hmm. 
uh, what happened after that? Uh, Kherson, it was, uh, uh, it is one of the uh, beautiful region in Ukraine because it is sea and it is very warm. And uh, uh, in the, this region was under occupation almost from the beginning of the war. And when our troops uh, uh, in fight, uh, they um, received uh, a victory. What happened on the next day? On the next day uh, in Ukraine, Russia uh, sent uh, more than 100 missiles mm. across all Ukraine, in my region, in neighbor region, in, in all Ukraine. People uh, were almost all day in shelters because uh, sirens were uh, loud all day, all day. And uh, uh, they like uh, uh, gave answer for this victory yeah. for us. And they want to show that they will do it more and more and more. And uh, in Kherson region, we, uh, of course, in media, we see photo when people are happy. It's one uh, moment, but another moment, uh, not a lot of media say that there are no food, mm. no medicine. People really haven't any food, any food. They could uh, have a small uh, portion of some uh, meal, uh, of some food, but this portion is uh, that we use for one time. They must uh, like this uh, uh, divide this portion for four days, five days. Mm. There, there, there are also a problem uh, with drink water. Uh, I saw also today's statistic, uh, nearly 50% of uh, nursery school and secondary school are destroyed. And it is also a problem. Uh, so I think uh, that uh, every other small victory uh, will be the reason that missile will mm. come back to our country so, in so what's the most every region. What's the most important thing the West could do then now to support Ukraine? First of all, the West must to uh, close the sky. Mm. It is, and uh, uh, we have a war from 2014, and uh, uh, also uh, where world was in uh, 2014, yeah. honestly. If uh, we uh, had such reaction of the world in that period, I think that this big war couldn't start. And uh, the first main, uh, uh, do you, uh, maybe you read, uh, Maggie, I think, uh, the last accident when the missiles uh, uh, were in Poland. It is only seven yeah. kilometers from a Ukrainian border. And what mm -hmm. the NATO said? And they said, no, it is like Ukrainian and uh, no reaction. We, we really were waiting for some reaction, for some strong reaction, position about this accident. And they said, like, doesn't matter. No, it, yeah. it happened. And uh, it's horrible. Uh, and also... Uh, when uh, I couldn't read honestly my Facebook uh, because there are a lot of messages about death every day, about death during this war. And was one post, uh, some, uh, somebody write that in this uh, war every day uh, died, um, that the war started like 24th of February. And there were a lot of comments of uh, wives, uh, fallen soldiers, then uh, they ask, okay, if the war started on the 24th of February, where died uh, my uh, husband uh, in 2014, in 2015, in 2016? Uh, I uh, want uh, to uh, show you uh, one uh, also small video. We speak about this theme uh, and uh, uh, we did uh, two projects uh, that were oriented for uh, members of uh, families who lost their husbands, uh, who lost their dads and their uh, 
sons during the this eight yeah period this is smi smile mom yes. and smile son is it a very long video um and well, we're, we're aware it's getting at the time we're, we're running out of time yeah. and i and i just wanted to if you don't mind, I, I, what I, might be useful to do is maybe get that video from you. We might be able to put it up on the website. But I wanted to give people here today, if they have any questions, a chance to ask you any question. I have two more questions for you. Is there anything that women's organisations in Scotland can do in particular to assist women back in Ukraine? Uh. Honestly, I don't know such organization. We have like a part in association of Great Britain, but in London, and uh, uh, I haven't uh, seen uh, like activities, big activities, because they are more oriented on the culture component. Yes. Uh, and uh, but uh, here in association, for example, we try uh, to communicate, of course, with all refugees. But most of this refugee, it is women's. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, okay. On, and and what are your next plans? What's it you want to do next? I want to come back in political system. Yeah. <laughs> I miss about, a lot. Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah, you'd be a formidable political opponent, certainly, and a, and a wonderful political ally. You get so much done. Are you thinking of doing further study? Uh, yes, I think about study. I think about uh, some courses about human rights here in Britain. Uh, in my previous life, I had uh, education in three universities. <laughs> Sometimes I think, oh, maybe I must stop, <laughs> but no, from the other don't side. Stop. Don't stop. Well, that's been wonderful. And we could have talked for hours as we did the other evening, in fact. Um, so I just want to give anyone a chance, if anyone has any questions um, to ask Ola uh, before we uh, move on to the open mic session to raise your hand. I don't think there were any questions in the chat that I saw, but I've not really been keeping an eye on the chat. So if anyone has any questions or comments, then now's your chance. Oh, Jules, you've got your hand up. Yeah, not, not a question so much, just a comment. I mean, how blown away I am by everything you've said today, Olha. Um, my heart goes out to you and to your family and to your, your, your whole country. Um, and, and just know that you have the support of I think everyone in this call, but for Scotland as well, um, we genuinely wish you all well and that this awful, awful war ends. It's heartbreaking. And I'm just appalled at, you know, conflicts across the, the, the globe where women are, are often the, the greatest victims. Women and children suffer uh, for, for patriarchal, temper tantrums uh, that actually cost lives um, and um, my love to you. Thank you so much. Jo uh, Jocelyn, your hands up. Yep, just a quick one. Also, Ola, thank you so much. That was incredibly moving and really, really helpful to get an insight into what it's like to come to a country and to still be suffering while you're here. Um, one of the things you were talking about at the beginning of your conversation was that um, it was very difficult for people to settle here and to find work because of the English language problem. And you said that there were no, there was nothing for children. Now, yes. that's incredibly difficult. And um, I, I would like to know if there are any plans in the pipeline to help them or if there's any English language classes. Um, it's certainly something I would like to get involved with in some way if you need volunteers. Oh, thank you so much. We could uh, think about maybe some project. Uh, it could be some classes in Zoom as variant because uh, we have um, some classes with our Ukrainian teacher for my son. Uh, I asked a school a lot of time. <laughs> could you please to help my child? Could you please to help maybe one hour? But they didn't do nothing. They said, you must ask a city council. But city council also <laughs> said, sorry. It is, we couldn't do it. And uh, it's uh, like a circle without uh, solving. Uh, and I think that it is possible to do some online classes in Zoom. It will be perfect. 
for a few kids uh, because it is kids and we couldn't uh, uh, do groups with, for example, 20 kids. It's, mm. it's impossible, but five, six, uh, maximum eight, I think that it will be great. Yeah, and I think I think that's on top of obviously English language support that people are getting in schools, um, but it's it's additional language. And when you have so many people in one place, i.e., on the ships, it seems silly in a way that there's not something more coordinated. But there's nothing very sensible or serious about the support that's happening and its coordination. Um, thank you so much again, Ola. I just wanted to pick up finally on something that Jules. Maggie, Maggie, if I may, I wanted to put it in the chat. I oh, sorry, to... right, I didn't see you. Sorry. That's okay. I was kind of I was trying to hide from the screen because I slept okay. in this morning, which is why I was late joining. So excuse the hair and the bleary look. Um, so Ola, first of all, thank you very much for your time here. It was fascinating to listen to you. Um, like Jules and others here, I'm a, a local councillor, but it's in Perth and Kinross. So there's two things um, I wanted to just maybe... A comment on a little bit. One is learning English. Um, here in Perth, we have quite a strong ESOL community and perhaps looking to the council to provide funding isn't the right place or even access to services. It tends to be supported by local community partnerships or local community groups. And the council directly, um, there is community development workers within the council and, and if they're not, if you're not able to access them, then speak to your local councillors. Uh, who should be able to direct you somewhere and certainly the funding for those have come through the you know participatory budgeting process it's a process for local groups and it tends to be done independently from the council to some extent and it's really up to local communities we have quite a large polish community here and i know that there's um we funded before the pandemic we some funding was awarded um to help very young children learn english you know like babies almost like toddlers when they're learning to speak so that they could learn english because very often in the home, Polish was spoken, but also to help the parents at the same time. So there is work going on in community groups, but it, I don't believe it's consistent across the whole of Scotland. It really depends on what's a priority for each local community. Um, the other thing I was a bit, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, just sad to hear is that people on ships, they become established in a community and then don't want to move. So I'm just wondering if there's something more that can be done to help help people understand what other opportunities there are elsewhere in Scotland. So the thought of moving from where they are doesn't become quite so daunting. Um, and so that's maybe something that local councils can do. Um, because not like, like Maggie says, all councils are struggling for accommodation. But Glasgow and Edinburgh is the largest councils in Scotland probably have a bigger challenge than others. I'm not saying that here in Perth and Kinross we have lots of housing, but we know there are you know asylum seekers in local hotels and we do if we, but they're put there by the Home Office, but we'd be far happier to be able to provide homes for them than, than have them staying there. Um, so I, as a local councillor, I'd certainly be interested in some feedback as to what, what we can do locally in that regard to help where we can um, manage expectations or at least help people understand what else is on offer elsewhere in Scotland, because they'd be very welcome. <clears throat> I think that I think that's that's a, that's good to hear, and I think there needs to be a coordinated um, response from Scottish government with the Ukrainian community. So Ola made it very clear that whatever plans come about have to have the Ukrainians' voice loud and very central to that. I mean, I know for a fact that the average amount of community ESOL that is being offered outside of urban areas is three hours a week which is not very much, and it's not going to help someone get into work. But we could talk for hours about what is wrong with the system, because I do that every day of my, my week, but that wasn't really what today was about. It was to hear about Ola's experiences and to understand the impact of war on women. And Jules Bell hinted at that in her comments. The fact of the matter is women do remain the biggest victims of war, and they're used as pawns in war. And we know that from across the world and sadly international law in terms of refugee law does not recognize in any way the particular issues that women face. So there's a massive job to be done internationally on what I call gendering the UN Convention on Refugees and also um, gendering the issues that are around resettled people. So once again, Ola, thank you very much indeed. 
And if there's any more comes out of this meeting in terms of initiatives or whatever, you and I will stay in touch. Um, uh, I know you're coming on Thursday to the big party, yes. <laughs> uh, but we will keep in touch and we will be doing more um, with the, the, the UK group. Uh, I think we've just arranged to go back into the ships in December and do some meetings. So thank you again personally for me and on behalf of Women for Independence. Thank you. Thank you so much. It is very pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, Maggie. Thank you so much, uh, everybody, for Thank this you. possibility to share my experience and all the problems, unfortunately, <laughs> to, to you. You're listening to Scottish Independence Podcasts. Uh, once again, thanks very much to Women for Independence for letting us use their recording. Um, we found listening to Ola a very powerful experience and we wish her well for her life here in Scotland. Last week our podcast was called War Zones and Nuclear Castles and again it focuses on Ukraine although from a very different viewpoint. It's a conversation with Bill Ramsey of Scottish CND and uh, he's reflecting on the kinds of strategies being shown and emerging in the Ukraine war, particularly around the nuclear power plants in Ukraine. So, so a very different podcast from what we've heard from Ola. If you haven't yet listened to Bill's podcast, you'll find it on our Podbeat channel or wherever you listen to your podcasts. It's also on our website.